Welcome to Parcast Presents the Best of 2019. We have for you the most requested episodes of Assassinations from this year. For more great episodes you may have missed, subscribe to Assassinations. Listen free on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts. An empire is like a living body, with the emperor as its heart. A strong, regular heart keeps the body thriving, but a bad heart will cause the body to revolt. Emperor Commodus considered himself a god. His reign was rife with torture, murder, and debauchery. Plenty of those in his own court plotted his demise. Senators, commanders, servants, even his own sister. They all failed. The Colosseum was Commodus's execution chamber. He challenged Rome's greatest gladiators just to prove he was untouchable. His opponents never dared strike him. Sometimes the emperor spared them in reward for their submission. But sometimes, even if they surrendered, he killed them anyway. Commodus held up the gladiator's bloody head, a mad grin spreading across his face. He locked eyes with the senators sitting in the front row of the arena. He raised his bloodstained sword, pointing it right at them. It was a warning. You're next. One death can change the world. At least, that's what assassins believe. Every week, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated. Welcome to Assassinations on the ParCast Network. I'm your host, Bill Thomas. And I'm your host, Kate Leonard. This is our first episode on Roman Emperor Commodus, the mad king who thought himself a god. On December 31st of the year 192 AD, a cabal of his closest confidants finally put an end to his reign of terror. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Monday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, on Twitter, at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Rife with torture, murder, and egomania, Commodus's reign was considered to be the beginning of the fall of the Roman Empire. The Senate was the only thing standing between Rome and utter destruction. In November of 192 AD, Commodus held an event called the Plebeian Games to prove his power to the people. Every morning, he shot hundreds of arrows at an arena of wild beasts, lions, elephants, ostriches, and more. Every afternoon, he battled the city's gladiators, and he always won. The senators could only gather and watch the gory spectacle in disgust. Commodus would drown the empire in its own blood if they didn't stop him. Two assassination attempts had already failed. Nearly everyone Commodus once trusted had already been executed. There was only one person who could slip past the emperor's defenses and get close enough to kill him. That person was his closest confidant, the closest thing he had to a wife, his favorite concubine, Marcia. 
Marcia was born in the center of Rome's power and government. Little is known about her early life, but it's believed her full name was Marcia Aurelia Demetrius. Her father was a former slave who had been freed and joined the imperial court. Her mother was a woman of renowned beauty, and that beauty was passed down to Marcia. Around the year 167 AD, when Marcia was a young girl, she was taken in and raised by a Christian eunuch named Hyacinthus. He brought the young woman into the fledgling faith. Just over a hundred years after the death of Jesus Christ, Christianity was slowly taking root across the Roman Empire. However, Romans misunderstood the new religion. At the time, there was only one denomination of Christianity, and that denomination celebrated the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is still practiced today in Roman Catholicism. During the consecration of the Eucharist, bread and wine are transubstantiated into Jesus' body and blood. Christians then eat the bread and drink the wine, believing that they are really consuming the body and blood of Christ. It's a very sacred spiritual practice. However, the Romans didn't understand the nuance. They twisted the meaning of the Eucharist. The Romans branded the Christians as cannibals. Anyone who adhered to the faith was persecuted ruthlessly. Christians were killed in the streets or forced into slavery on a regular basis. Marcia was a survivor. She kept her faith a secret, choosing her every word with the utmost caution. But still, she lived with the shadow of persecution lurking just over her shoulder. However, there was another, more immediate fact that threatened Marcia's freedom. She was a woman. In 180 AD, the 18-year-old Emperor Commodus took power. He had a habit of rounding up beautiful women and forcing them to become his concubines. As a beautiful woman, Marcia was doomed to be seen as little more than property, an object of desire. But she'd inherited some grit from her freedman father. She would find a way to transcend her place. Marcia became the lover of Senator Quadratus, who was the cousin of Emperor Commodus. Their relationship may not have been true love, but they did fulfill each other's needs. Quadratus got to spend his nights with a beautiful woman, and Marcia was given a place among the wealthy and powerful. That is, the somewhat powerful. The Roman Senate was created to have equal power alongside the emperor. But over time, the emperors had gradually become more authoritarian, and the Senate's power diminished. By the time of Commodus's reign, the Senate was made up of wealthy nobles who sought social prestige rather than true political power. It was this wealth and prestige that Quadratus reveled in and showered upon Marcia. She sat with him at state dinners. She mingled with the elite at chariot races and gladiator games. Her place in the Roman political world was similar to that of a movie star's paramour. She lived among the upper classes, but as a woman, she had no power of her own. She could only exert her influence from behind the scenes. Still, Marcia was on track to make the best of her position, until Emperor Commodus turned her world upside down. As soon as Commodus took power in the year 180, he started stirring up trouble. 
The 18-year-old emperor completely avoided his royal duties, preferring instead to spend his time drinking with his harem of concubines. Against the advice of the Senate, Commodus passed all command of the state's affairs to one of his guards, a man named Perennis. Perennis let the emperor indulge in as much debauchery as he wanted. It kept him distracted. Meanwhile, Perennis used his new power to seize property from the country's noblemen, fattening his own wallet at their expense. Men and women who'd spent their entire lives in the lap of luxury were literally dragged from their homes and thrown into the street. If they complained, they were stripped of their positions and privileges. Emperor Commodus was not coming to their rescue. He seemed intent on getting rid of anyone who might threaten his own power. He'd even cast his own sister, Lucilla, from the royal court. And this would prove to be a serious mistake. Lucilla had spent her entire life next to the seat of power, and now she was being forced into obscurity. She had no intention of going quietly. In the year 182, Lucilla took her problem to Commodus's cousin, Senator Quadratus. Quadratus hadn't been thrown out of power yet, but he knew he might be next. They decided there was only one solution. They had to kill Emperor Commodus. Lucilla and Quadratus told Marcia about their plan. She could be a valuable help. She was smart, Quadratus trusted her, and most importantly, she was a beautiful young woman who wouldn't raise the emperor's suspicions. Marcia refused any active role in the assassination plot. Whether she approved of the plan or not, she had the good sense to keep her mouth shut about it. Quadratus set about his mission. He hid a dagger under his robes and waited in the shadows behind an entryway at the center of the Colosseum. Commodus came through this entrance every day like clockwork. Quadratus knew it wouldn't be long. He waited, the cold steel of the dagger pressed against his belly. Finally, footsteps echoed down the passageway. Commodus and his military guards appeared, marching steadily toward the center of the Colosseum. The thunder of footsteps filled Quadratus's ears. It was time to act. Raising the blade above his head, he leapt from the shadows. Some moments require strategy and intellect to change the course of history. But assassinations require only physical speed and skill. Had Quadratus been a soldier, he might have succeeded. But he was a senator. He had spent his life sharpening his words, not his knives. Before he could bring the dagger home, a parting speech bubbled out of his throat. This dagger, the Senate sends thee. This gave the guards more than enough time to seize him and kick his dagger away. In 182 CE, Quadratus and Lucilla were executed, thrown into a pit with wild beasts and torn to bits. Marcia managed to avoid any blame, but she didn't quite go free. Commodus took notice of his would-be assassin's widow. She was very beautiful. So, like most of the beautiful women in Rome, she was taken to live as the emperor's concubine. Marcia knew how lucky she'd been. Commodus could have tossed her to the wild beasts like Quadratus. 
Being taken as a concubine was a light punishment in comparison. Whatever heartbreak and anger she was feeling, she buried it. She had no control over her circumstances, but she would make the most of them. Marcia's wit was as great as her beauty, and she quickly became the emperor's favorite mistress. Commodus had sworn to never take another wife after he had his first wife executed for adultery. But though he never married Marcia, he treated her as if she were his wife. Commodus sensed the deep reservoir of strength in Marcia. He had artists paint portraits of her in the likeness of an Amazon, the mythic race of female warriors. She had as firm a grip on his ear as she did on his heart. It was widely known that no one, not even Commodus's appointed advisors and chamberlains, could mitigate his unstable tendencies better than Marcia. She was a steady, whispering wind that cooled his roiling mind. Commodus was paranoid of another assassination plot, and he became extremely hesitant to appear in public. He trusted no one. He wouldn't receive any message unless it had first passed through his right-hand man, Perennis. But he always listened to Marcia. Gentle suggestion flowed from her lips like honey. Sometimes Commodus would make a decision without even realizing where the idea came from. She urged Commodus to pass laws in favor of treating Christians more gently, without ever giving away her own adherence to the faith. In one instance, she asked the Pope for a list of all the Christians who had been forced into labor in the Sardinian mines, and then convinced Commodus to release them all. But a wildfire can only be controlled for so long. Soon, Marcia's influence would run its course. The paranoid emperor would come to see Marcia's gentle suggestions as something far more loathsome. Coming up, we'll dive into the mind of the Mad Emperor. Now, back to the story. In 1503, Niccolo Machiavelli said that, quote, All the Roman emperors who succeeded to the throne by birth, except Titus, were bad. All were good who succeeded by adoption. But as soon as the empire fell once more to the heirs by birth, its ruin recommenced. That return to heirs by birth began with Lucius Aurelius Commodus. On August 31, 161, twin sons were born to Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. He called them Commodus and Antonius. Marcus's wife, Faustina, had been plagued by nightmares during the pregnancy. She dreamed that instead of giving birth to human babies, Two scaled serpents slithered from her, coiling around each other and hissing. One serpent, much larger than the other, turned on its brother and devoured it. After a sickly infancy, Antonius died on his fourth birthday. Commodus was left the sole heir to the throne. In the 160s AD, the Roman Empire was locked in a series of wars, and wounded soldiers brought home a plague of smallpox that was ravaging the city. But Emperor Marcus Aurelius still held the people's favor. He descended to the throne from an elected position in the Senate, and despite the empire's problems, 
he was considered a wise and just ruler. From childhood, Commodus was groomed to be as grand an emperor as his father. Marcus Aurelius was the first emperor in generations to have a legitimate son, and he planned on bringing back the old tradition of rule by birthright. Commodus was trained by the best masters in all realms of study, but early on, the boy proved to have a cruel streak in his nature. One day, when Commodus was 12, one of his slaves drew him a bath. When the young emperor got into the water, he felt it was too cold. So without compunction, he ordered that the slave be cast into the furnace. On another occasion, the young Commodus used a scalpel to cut open a man's belly simply to satisfy his curiosity about what was inside. His teachers could only stand by and watch as he unfurled the man's intestines. Despite all of his worrying behavior, Aurelius promoted his son to the rank of Imperator on November 27, 176 AD, making him second in command of Rome's army. Commodus was only 15, the youngest consul in Roman history. Only a year after that, Commodus was made co-emperor, ruling alongside his father. In 180, Aurelius died, leaving 18-year-old Commodus as the sole emperor. In his final moments, Marcus Aurelius might have dreamed that his son would lead Rome into a bright new era. Commodus would be the first biological heir to take the throne in over a hundred years, and his father had done everything to prepare him for the responsibility. These hopes did not come to pass. Commodus proved to be a worse disease upon Rome than the plague. Rather than actually ruling his domain, Commodus spent his days at the Colosseum, watching gladiator battles. He wasn't content to simply watch. Sometimes he would enter the arena himself and brutally murder his opponents before the screaming crowd. During his reign, Commodus fought in over 735 gladiator battles against both men and animals. He brought exotic beasts into the Colosseum. Lions, elephants, hippos, ostriches, gazelles, and tigers, and massacred them all. One ancient historian wrote, quote, Such was his prowess in the slaying of wild beasts that he once transfixed an elephant with a pole, pierced a gazelle's horn with a spear, and on a thousand occasions dispatched a mighty beast with a single blow. He often invited gladiators to his home to practice, an offer that meant certain death. No one dared to defeat the emperor in battle, not with his guards stationed around the perimeter of the room. Once they surrendered, Commodus would slay them without an ounce of mercy. His cruelty erred into the macabre. Commodus delighted in mocking decorum and decency. Once at a state dinner, Commodus served up two live hunchback men on silver platters, both of the men covered in mustard. At another banquet, he forced two men with dwarfism to fight to the death with butcher knives atop the banquet table. Commodus ate greedily as they battled, ignoring the gouts of blood that splattered onto his plate. Commodus was known to round up women he found desirable and force them into his harem. He would wander the streets and command his guards to abduct any women that caught his fancy. 
And as we mentioned earlier, after his cousin Quadratus tried to assassinate him in 182, he got the last laugh by taking Quadratus's lover, Marcia, as a concubine. But Marcia proved to be much stronger and smarter than Commodus had anticipated. Rather than let the kidnapping break her spirit, Marcia maneuvered her way into a position of influence. She had the emperor's ear, and before he knew it, he was doing everything she asked. Commodus had always had an astounding ego. But as the boy emperor matured into his 20s, he literally began to think of himself as a god. He insisted that he was the reincarnation of the demigod Hercules and took to wearing a lion skin cloak and carrying a club. He renamed Rome as Commodiana and called its people Commodiani. The months of the year were all renamed in his honor. August became Commodus, September became Hercules. December, he renamed after his beloved mistress, the warrior woman, Amazonius. As his megalomania grew, so did his ire for the Senate. He believed they were unnecessary in the face of a godlike ruler such as himself. At the gory culmination of his gladiator battles, he would often hold up the severed head of his opponent and thrust it toward where the senators were sitting. He would gesture at them with his bloody sword, indicating that they were next. If this weren't enough, he had a statue of himself built outside of the Senate House. His likeness held an arrow notched and pointed right at the building. But even though Commodus was only in his 20s, by the mid-180s, his feats of strength were slowing down. His diet of wine and mustard-covered live hunchbacks had left him weak and diseased and his debauchery had done even more damage to the Roman public. Commodus had devalued the Roman currency by limiting the amount of gold and silver used to make each coin, a decision that set the empire sliding toward economic collapse. After that, he'd left public matters to his chamberlains, Perennis and Cleander, who sold political positions to the highest bidders and seized property for their own personal gain. In 185, Perennis, the longtime enabler of the emperor, decided that he himself would make a better ruler. Three years after Quadratus's failed attempt on Commodus's life, yet another assassination plot was formed. Using the wealth he'd stolen from the Roman people, Perennis sent his sons to bribe the imperial soldiers and recruit an army to overthrow Commodus. He planned to march toward the capital, take the emperor by surprise, and have him publicly executed. Perennis would then take over as the uncontested leader of Rome. But there was a hitch in Perennis's plan. A few of the soldiers he spoke to were still loyal to the emperor. They came to Commodus and told him about the plot. Commodus's paranoia was finally vindicated. In a fit of rage, he had Perennis and his sons publicly executed and fed to wild beasts, as he had done with his first attempted assassins. With Perennis out of the way, Commodus's other chamberlain, Cleander, was left solely in charge of the state. He continued on the same path of corruption as before, selling off government offices and consolidating his own power. This scheme wouldn't hold for long. In the spring of 190, 
a food shortage swept through Rome, leaving people starving in the streets. By June, they had found a scapegoat for the famine, Cleander. At the end of June, a mob rose outside the Circus Maximus Stadium, protesting against Cleander's injustices. Cleander sent his guard to quell the uprising, then escaped to ask Commodus for help. But the mob followed him. They swarmed outside the house where Commodus was staying, calling for Cleander's head. Commodus had a choice. Save his most trusted chamberlain or save his reputation. As he'd done so many times before, he asked Marcia for advice. She told him to give the people what they wanted. Cleander was beheaded. Cleander's son was executed too. And just for good measure, the man who oversaw the city's grain supply was executed as well. The people were appeased for now, but Commodus's paranoia was worse than ever. He'd only been ruling for 10 years, and he'd already executed or banished everyone close to him. Everyone except for two people, his treasured concubine, Marcia, and his wrestling coach, Narcissus. Commodus was now nearing 30, and he wasn't as spry as he once was. He had recruited Narcissus to help him train for his gladiator battles. The young wrestler was the only fighting partner that Commodus would never kill or maim after a fight. With everyone else turning against him, Narcissus and Marcia were the only people who had never threatened Commodus's power or his life. One can only imagine how Narcissus and Marcia must have felt, held hostage by the whim and favor of someone whose insanity was only rivaled by his cruelty. Marcia spent her nights pressed up against Commodus's fevered flesh, his body writhing in his sleep like the serpent his mother had dreamed of before his birth. Some nights, Marcia would slip from the mad king's embrace and stand between the great marble pillars of the palace, no more than a shadow in the night. Beyond her, Rome was starving and festering, one disaster away from collapse. Marcia was the only one who was safe from the emperor's fury, at least for now. Until one fateful day in December of 192 AD, Commodus announced that he would ring in the new year by abolishing the Senate. He would stand as the sole ruler of Rome. He planned to take up residence in the gladiator's barracks and rule the kingdom like the god-warrior king he believed himself to be. Up to that point, the Senate had been the only thing, besides Marcia, mitigating Commodus's whims. Without the Senate, the empire's safety would depend entirely on Marcia's influence. Marcia begged Commodus not to be so careless. The Senate was working to end the famine and stop the spread of the plague. Dissolving their power would lead to disgrace for the Roman Empire. But Commodus heard something else in her whispers now. Not a soothing voice of reason, but a sinister manipulation. She was trying to diminish his power, just like Cleander and Perennis and Lucilla and Quadratus. Commodus kept a list of people he intended to execute as soon as he overthrew the Senate. But by this point, the list had grown quite long. Minor enemies, senators, state officials, his own servants, no one was off limits, not even his closest confidants. 
after two assassination attempts, he would not suffer another betrayal. In December 192, a few days before the new year, Commodus picked up his quill and scribbled out his updated list. Not long after, his servant boy found it. At the very top of the list, the ink still wet, Marcia Aurelia Demetrius. Coming up, we'll examine the fallout of the emperor's paranoia. Now, back to the story. In 192 AD, Rome was on the verge of collapse. Famine and plague swept through the city. Emperor Commodus had threatened the Senate with destruction, and Marcia was the only one close enough to Commodus to do anything about it. On the night before the new year, the emperor's servant boy found a list of the people he intended to execute the next morning, once he abolished the Republic and declared himself the gladiator king. Marcia's name was at the top of the list. He grabbed the tablet and ran. He ran right into Marcia. She stopped the boy and took the tablet. She didn't know what it was, but she saw her name in fresh ink at the top. Below her name was Eclectus, Commodus's trusted servant. Below his, Emilius Latus, the commander of the emperor's guard. Marcia muttered, quote, well done indeed, Commodus. This is fine return for the kindness and affection I have lavished on you and for the drunken insults which I have endured from you all these years. A fuddled drunkard is not going to get the better of a sober woman." End quote. Marcia called for Eclectus and Latus. They had all tried to reason with Commodus, but now it was too late for talking. They had to act. Marcia knew what she had to do. The Romans were old hats when it came to poisons. Cyanide, deadly nightshade, hemlock. Ever since the days of Julius Caesar and Cleopatra in 40 AD, these substances had been slipped into food as regularly as a handful of pepper. It was easier to sneak a poison past an emperor's defense than it was a dagger. But poison was unreliable. If the dosing is off even by the smallest amount, Commodus would recover, and Marcia would be the one who wound up dead. Commodus loved to drink in the bath, and he was known to bathe seven or eight times a day. Marcia always brought him his drink while he bathed. No one else was allowed to be with him, only Marcia. On New Year's Eve in 192 AD, Marcia came to Commodus's bathroom with a goblet of wine, the same as every night. Even though Commodus had condemned her to death, a part of him still trusted her. She had been his closest companion for so long. This love gave Marcia the chance to lace the emperor's wine with a deadly poison. To make sure it worked, she used an incredibly powerful dose. But the poison was so strong that Commodus became violently ill, vomiting it all back up. Marcia feared the emperor might live after all. And if he did, she wouldn't be strong enough to take him on with her bare hands. So she sent word for Narcissus, Commodus's wrestling coach. When Narcissus arrived, he found Commodus wallowing in a bath full of his own vomit, writhing in pain, like one of the many diseased citizens he'd neglected throughout his reign. 
It must have been a pathetic sight, the once godly emperor clinging to life. What followed was an act of mercy. Narcissus bent down, wrapped his arm around Commodus's straining neck, and pressed down. The emperor was so weak from the poison, he couldn't have struggled much. With a few splashes, the gladiator who'd never suffered a defeat was finally killed by the very man who taught him to fight. Emperor Commodus died on the last day of the year 192. When word of Commodus's death reached the Senate, they proclaimed, quote, Let the memory of the murderer and the gladiator be utterly wiped away. Let the statues be overthrown. As he did unto others, let it be done unto him. Let the body of the murderer be dragged in the dust. End quote. And so ended the life of one of Rome's most maniacal emperors. But the wounds that he inflicted on Rome would not be healed by his death. A tide of conspiracy, betrayal, and murder continued to flow. Marcia would go on to learn, as the Bible of her hidden faith had warned, that all who will take up the sword will die by the sword. On next week's episode, we'll delve into the fate of Commodus's assassins, how his power vacuum was filled, and what might have happened if Marcia's plot had failed. Thanks for listening to Assassinations. We hope you enjoyed part one of our series on the assassination of Roman Emperor Commodus. If you're looking for more episodes or other stories of murder and crime, you can find us as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and on Twitter as at ParCast Network. See you next Monday. Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations is written by David Calbert and stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas.